What's up? I'm Ebro Darden. This is the show where we ask our guests to choose 10 songs that have soundtracked the key moments in their life. My guest today is civil rights activist Tamika Mallory. Inspired by a tragic event in her youth, Tamika has been a prominent voice for civil rights and social justice for more than two decades. In 2017, she co-chaired the Women's March on Washington that brought together millions of people around the world. She now runs Until Freedom, a social justice organization fighting racial injustice in the United States. I caught up with Tamika on FaceTime a few weeks ago. I wanted to make sure she got a chance to show another side of who she is. We only see her on the front lines doing battle with police reform and politicians representing our communities. And I thought it was important to see the other side of Tamika Mallory because not only is Tamika an important voice, but she is also just a great human being. If you want to hear all the songs in this episode, search for the playlist Songs for Life on Apple Music. How are you, Tamika? All is well. What's going on, brother? I'm glad we got you to be a part of Songs for Life because uh, I wanted to show the human side of Tamika as well as bring some music to, you know, your profile because you are a music lover. Absolutely. Music is my life. And I like all types of music. Right now, we are living real time, capturing it, videoing it, audio, news, sharing it, a moment in world history where the entire world is talking about black lives and those lives having value, those lives mattering. Tamika, talk to me about Minneapolis first. George Floyd is murdered in the street. Mm. The video starts to circulate. How many days after you saw the video and everyone started to organize were you and the team on the ground? So important to put it all in context. This was immediately following Memorial Day. Okay. So on Memorial Day, we went to Kentucky because Breonna Taylor is an essential worker. She was an essential worker. Right. And so we felt that we should go with her family and celebrate her, honor her life on Memorial Day, uh, that she, too, deserved that type of acknowledgement. And so we were in Kentucky doing that, standing in front of the window where the bullets flew through, looking at the the marks and the damage that was done. So at Breonna Taylor's home. That's where we were. We left Kentucky, Ebro, and drove while we were on our way to Indianapolis, where three people were killed by the police in 24 hours, including a woman who was pregnant. A cop ran her down. On the way to Indianapolis, we learned about what happened to George Floyd. And so it's important to know all of that because by the time I make it to Minneapolis, I hear this man calling for his mother. We hear his Mm. cries. We hear the whole thing as we're driving. So by the time I end up in Minneapolis, I'm a mad black woman. Mad. Enraged. Because this is ridiculous. It's not like I just showed up in Minneapolis. I'm coming through Okay, black folks just being killed all over, their lives being taken because of rogue police. Okay, and so now when I'm asked to speak in Minneapolis, I don't care about what I'm saying. I know I'm not, when I say I don't care, what I mean is it doesn't have to come out exactly the way that I would if I prepared it, it doesn't have to be perfect, the verbs might be all over the place. But I'm speaking from my heart because at this point, somebody has to say what's true. And that was the next day. I want to play the uh, audio of what you had to say in this moment, which many people have said it's a speech of a generation. Don't talk to us about looting. Y'all are the looters. America has looted black people. America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. So looting is what you do. We learned it from you. We learned violence from you. So if you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better. After that speech, let's call it, went viral, one of the most iconic entertainers in the history of the world is celebrating and reconnecting Black Americans in the best way she knows how, back to Africa. 
and exalting blackness at the same time all of this stuff is happening. And she puts out a song called Black Parade, which you have as one of your 10 songs. Oh, yeah. And she says your name in the song. Now, did you know this was going to happen before it came out? You know, it's funny. I did not know specifically, but I knew something was going to happen because I got a heads up that you need to be listening tonight for something. But they don't even tell you something is dropping. So you don't even know what something is because over there, nobody tells you anything when they tell you something. <laughs> <They don't know. laughs> I'm traveling. I'm on the road. I got some young folks with me. We're all in a hotel, everyone in their different rooms. And we're and I'm in my bed doing whatever, on the computer, working, watching the news. And the next thing I know, I hear the loudest bang on my door like it's the police. Like, what is going on? And it's young <laughs> folks like, oh my God. They're jumping on the bed. They're running back and forth, screaming, led by my favorite, Natasha Williams, who actually has been on your show. She was like, it's at two, such and such and such as you. She said you. They were so excited. And I was really excited for them. Really. For me, of course, it's an honor. But that's on a much deeper level. Right. Because guess what? As, as excited as I was, I felt the weight on me. It was heavy. Like, wow. Here we are with an icon calling me out. And, and, and she doesn't know me personally. So she's not doing it because we're friends and we're cool. She's saying it because there is an expectation. There's a belief. There is actually trust in me. And I was like, wow, that's deep. But for the young people who were just like, yo, we lit. Like, we lit. That's it. <laughs> I, was, I was really happy for them. <laughs> man, that makes me want to cry, man. Because, you know, I know what it means for those young people and even yourself when you was young to be completely banging a drum yes. on behalf of people that may not know they need you. Word. And what Beyonce does in all her music, which we know, she gives you hope. She makes you feel. And I think that's what this whole Black is King piece is about. Showing us that we come from something that is much deeper than where we're standing. Like you're seeing a narrow view of who we are, the greatness of being Black, what this skin color really means, where we came from, that there's another place, another land that our people were once connected to that is rich in culture. As much as it's a black parade, a parade is a movement of people. That's right. Um, and there is definitely a worldwide parade going on right now. We are connected. We have Tamika Mallory with us today. Tamika, music was a part of everything. Um, you grew up in, you know, the borough where hip-hop was created. So I would love to hear from you. Like, what, what music were you seeing and hearing as your earliest memory? Well, first of all, I grew up in Harlem, First, Harlem. where flyness was created. So let's just get that That's straight. Right. Fashion, um, clothes, fashion. flyness. And I mean, black renaissance. You know, yeah, it was the black renaissance. And while Puffy may have been a Mount Vernon-er, still Harlem was like the stomping grounds for, you know, bad, the early, early bad boy before it was even bad boy. So music for us, it's just, it is what it is. The old Grant's tune, everything from jazz to just all different types of music. Harlem has been the home. So that's first. Then I moved to the Bronx when I was about 14 years old. So of course, that's uh, 1994. You know, hip hop is obviously great. And the Bronx was, the, you know, the stomping ground for that. So I think um, I think I got my cool, smooth, R&B vibe from Harlem, and I got my rough, hardcore stuff from the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever think of a time when things were simpler? When it was just like, do you ever think of that 17, 16-year-old girl that was just 
Absolutely. Like 16, 17, it was heavy for me because I was already in the street. You know, I lived in the projects. I grew up in a situation where, but for the grace of God, I wouldn't even be sitting here right now. But the nine, the 10, the 11, 12, till about that time, that was the good old days. And I tell young people all the time, I'm like, yo, you rushing to get grown for something that you really not going to want to be when you get to be where you at. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to want to go backwards because, yo, grown is whack. You know, you, you know, you, when you <laughs> it's overrated. Let's just put it that way. Way over. <laughs> Facts. That brings me to track two. You brought up BBD for track two of your 10 songs. And you chose When Will I See You Smile Again. Now, yes. I don't know your age. I don't know your age. I'm 45. I remember when this album came out. I called the record store. They said it was in. I was waiting for it to drop because New Edition had broke up. Everybody was going their own way. And I was like, what's happening? What's BBD? And I think Poison was already out. Yeah. And I, I, the bus was coming down the street as soon as I got off the phone. I remember breaking out the front door, boom, sprinting to the bus stop to make sure that I had this BBD yeah. album to be at school the next day with the BBD album. Yes. Man, listen. Okay. <laughs> I would that I think I I learned about being feminine from that album because I knew mm. You know, I was clear that there was a difference between men and women, and there was a thing that happens between us that you <laughs> I could feel in my it was it was all over me. I was like, oh yes. <laughs> you know, poison, poison still wasn't it. Cause poison's like, you know, we all could be nah. doing the, you know what I'm saying? Nah. Yeah, but yeah. when will I see you smile again? That was like, oh, oh. Oh, is this how it this works? This a love song. Yeah, this, this is, is our oh. love song for my, for yes. me and mine. Yes, and then the, and then they had the choreography was amazing, and the guys looked amazing, and it was just all that, you know. So I feel like BBD in general, even though yeah, New Edition is incredible and whatever. But still, BBD was like, it was the popping piece. Like, it was popping. Tamika, I think I'm older than you. I was I was moving around out here, kid. You're 45. I'm 40. And that five years is a big deal during this period it of is. time. It is. For me, it was coming into, you already in it. So you like, yeah, I just oh, I need a finessing. little soundtrack. <laughs> you said you was finessing. If I had it. I was figuring it out already. You know what I'm saying? I had figured it out. I knew how to unlock the key, the locks. I knew it all. I knew where it was at. Now, when you go back to your life story and you think about kind of what inspired you, there's so many moments that got you to the person we know today. Mm -hmm. uh, you were a young mother. You dealt with some serious loss, you and your son, very early in life. Take us back to, what were you, 19, 20 years old when your son's father was murdered? So I was about to turn 20 years old. So super young. I got pregnant with my son when I was 17. So at the time that his father was killed, he was two. And it's been now 20 years. And I've been raising my son, you know, pretty much mommy and son. Now it's now he thinks it's man and mommy. But, you know, that's a different conversation. Is that moment in your life journey, is that the moment where Tamika made a social pivot and really began to pull back the layers of that violent moment? What caused that violent moment and why Black folks, families, mothers, children are inundated with this violence in our neighborhoods? Absolutely. I would say, and I have to give my credit to my parents, 
who were the first ones to give me a taste of what the movement looked like, right? Did they work for the National Action Network or work with National Action Network? Yeah, so they, my parents were two of Reverend Al Sharpton's first members. You know, he had a group of individuals who helped him start National Action Network, and my parents were there from the very beginning. For those that don't know, what is the National Action Network? It is a national civil rights organization. My parents, Mm. for them, going to a community rally, a meeting, a meeting at the uh, at the precinct, the precinct council meetings, um, or some other cultural event was just like going to church on Sundays for most Black folks. You had to go. Got it. So there, yeah, there was. It was in the family already. It, it was, was in the house. It's in the house. So I was a kid who grew up with a weekend full of activity. Now, when my son's father was murdered. At that point, and by the way, in between that, while I'm with my son's father, while we're having a baby, I have completely moved away from the movement. I'm not, you know, going to rallies or any of that. I'm just kind of, you know, living the life of a A young young person, young teenager, right? Like, you know, I'm actually rebelling the idea that I have to go to a meeting where people are dressed in dashikis with, you know, that wasn't my thing. Natural hair. I wasn't trying to do that. I I was getting the image of what I was supposed to look like from paid in full and other music videos and things like that. That's what I thought. And what my parents were doing was completely opposite of that. And to me, that was old school and out of touch. But when my son's father was murdered, because of the example that I had, because of the exposure that I had had with the movement, it all started to click. Like, I understood in that moment that, wow, because I was sitting one day, I remember I was sitting, right, and my son's father was, he was, he was deceased. He's gone. I'm mourning, going through the whole thing, super depressed. And I remember that I had, I kept taking phone calls from family members and friends. You know, everybody calls when someone dies, and I kept hearing over and over from people, well, you know, Pookie got killed last week. So-and-so's baby father died. Well, girl, you know, my cousins, my son's father got killed two years ago. And I heard these stories before, but I didn't hear the stories until I was in the situation and I and it actually resonated with me. Now you feel me. the story. Now you feel yeah. it. You now feel I'm the feeling story. it. Now I know there's something going on. It was almost like I had a map and I started to draw the connection between these different individuals. What is the common denominator? And what I realized was my son's father, both his parents were perpetual drug abusers. When I met him, his mother was in prison. She came out somewhere in our relationship. He lived with his grandparents who were amazing people who did all they could to try to give him a life. But he used to say all the time that he felt like an orphan living in the home with his parents. Mm. And I realized mm. that when I looked at these other stories, there was something comparable about what all of the young men that I heard about were going through or what they had been through. And so my parents and what they had been trying to show me, Ebro, it came together because I realized that poverty that they were fighting and you know, lack of education that my parents were involved Unemployment. in. The community just being broken in general, drugs, you know, all of that that I saw my parents involved in on a regular basis, going to these rallies and taking me around town. It came to me that this is why they were fighting against it because of the stuff that was happening literally in our own family. Because of the things that was mm-hmm. happening in, in our community that you knew that the, the lack of resources and the abandonment of the black community left us in situations where Jason Ryans, my son's father, is shot twice, left in a ditch for two weeks before his body is discovered. Mm. This story is all too common. And so at that point, the movement wasn't my parents' movement anymore. It was no longer somebody having to wake me up to go. I took it as my own and started being the leader in my family because I understood that my son's fate could be the same because what's what's the difference? You know what I mean? Now he's growing up without a father. So he really could fall into the same cycle. And if I was going to break the cycle, 
we were going to be on a journey towards justice. And at least he'd be able to see his mother working hard to try to change the conditions that ultimately was his father's demise. You've said before that uh, you were embarrassed about this incident. Yep. Um, Can you tell us why you were embarrassed about someone murdering your son's father? Yeah, so, you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family that has some a few judgmental people. People that always got something to say. And because I had a baby young, I always ran my mouth too much. I had somewhat of an, a little attitude. And I was slightly privileged because I came from a two-parent household, which wasn't the norm, you know? And I always had people who said, oh... You know, y'all, y'all, y'all think she's all that, but she's just gonna be another. And you list the mm. statistics, you know. And so when I got pregnant, it was like, told you, you know, see, there, told see, y'all. See, yep. look at it. There she goes. And mm. then your baby daddy goes and gets killed. Like that mm. is, if you want to be judgmental, you got all of the, the, you got the whole mixture there. She got pregnant young. You know, uh, always running Young, her mouth. and fatherless child. And trifecta. now, and now your baby daddy is dead. Exactly. Right. So it was embarrassing, you know. I knew people were talking about me. But, you know, I think, th- th- again, going back to my parents engaging me in the work gave me an opportunity to see that it wasn't his fault. Even though, yes, he should not have been in the place at the time. But that point could be stopped or that narrative could be shifted if we address the things that led up to it. And so I decided to get on that journey of fighting against the things that lead up to you being with the drug boys involved in a game that you really know nothing about. This record, Day After Father's Day. So that's my son. Tariq. Yeah, Tariq, exactly, Tariq. (laughs) Oh, so Tariq is an artist. And on Father's Day, once he was 19, my son cried all day long. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was that he was around his friends and they were around their fathers and he felt, you know, like he was missing something. I don't know if he just realized in that moment that, like, I need my dad. I want my dad. Mm. And I think one of the reasons why I choose the song is because it's a good song and also because it's my son's art. But I think one of the other reasons is that I realized in that moment I couldn't do anything for him, Ebro. It was nothing that mommy could do. Mommy couldn't fix this one. Nobody I could call. No way I could touch him. I've been praying for a while. I know I've been through it. Didn't always make my mama smile, put through it. I was going eight when I first touched the school. Used to take a books and sell it back soon. But me, I still smile. I'm still grinding through it. Ain't no pain up on this earth to have my back growing. About to meet you up there because they want to see me dead. I'll be flying with you through the sky on my head. Tie 95. Day after Father's Day. I, I got to say, I'm very proud of Todd 95. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what just struck me in our conversation, Tamika. Our uh, mutual friend, my son, the rapper. Yes, right. My son has found an amazing path for his art, his expression, and, and himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the work of individuals like yourself... Um, and him seeing a way that he can not only support, but be an active voice yep. through music mm-hmm. in support of keeping uh, the energy, uh, supporting the movement, and, and putting a voice and music to the movement. And and I and also seeing your son express himself in that way. Hopefully he sees someone like my son find success. Um yeah. And not only making music, but being a part of, you know, something meaningful. Yeah, because don't get it twisted. 
when you go listen to his music, he also got some of that other that other stuff on there. Of you know course, what I'm saying? Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Well, he's got to be he's got to be a teenager, and he's got to figure out his own path the same way you did. Uh, absolutely, and you know, Colin Kaepernick for my son was the beginning of his activism. Like, it, it takes something in each one of us, and it was Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. It wasn't even Colin taking a knee. Interesting. And that's what I always say about, like, the NFL and others. Like, it really wasn't Colin taking a knee. He could have took a knee and been kneeling, and some people might have picked it up, other people may not, and it's fine. So that was the issue. The issue was the blackballing after he took a knee. And so my son was like, yo, like, so they just going to do that? And I'm like, yeah, that's how it works. And he's like, what do you mean that's how it works? Like, this is the NFL. They should allow them. He, what are you talking about? And then I had to, that was my opportunity to say, you know how mom is always out here and these are the issues we're fighting. This is a part of that institutional racism and white supremacy and what it looks like. And now he, he picked it up for himself. And so, yes, I do think that when he... That my son is an example. I mean, he loves my son. My son is his confidant. You know, he talks to him about a lot of personal things, such as many young black men. And they still fight because my son's trying to tell him, man, I'm trying to te- like, I'm trying to put you on. And my son's like, nah, y'all old. Y'all don't know what's going on out here in these streets. He's telling my son, tighten your pants up. They need to be, you know, tighten them up. It's too, it's too, it, you know, it looks, it's too baggy. You know what I'm saying? So they have yeah. their own relationship. But just to, just real quick to say that my son is probably one of the most critical voices in terms of, um, of the work that we do because of his experiences, because of where he comes from in hip hop, because of his life story, being arrested, you know, being being convicted, locked up on a felony, spending seven years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. When he goes into spaces to talk with people, and I don't care who it is, it could be a white woman, it could be a dude in prison, it could be a grandmother, a black grandmother, they feel him because he's not talking about what he read what he learned from somebody else, it's his lived experience that gives him authority to speak on these issues. And that's the, that's what we're trying to bring together in Until Freedom. I want to use that moment to springboard into this Marvin Sapp, the best in me. Mm. Um, we will be playing a record from my song coming up. Um, but this, the best in me is about bringing out the best in people yeah. and people finding the best in themselves. Is that why you chose this record? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Marvin Sapp's record resonates with me also because at the moments when I'm about to approach my work or, you know, there's something that I feel, you know, we have insecurities. You don't always feel like you're smart mm-hmm. enough to enter the room. You don't always feel like you're, uh, you know, capable enough. Can you speak well enough? Can you write well enough? We all deal with insecurities in different places. Do I fit? You know, and I think that Marvin Sapp songs for me says he saw the best in me. So if he sees the best in me, I could do it. I can do it. Just go in the room and just be who you are. And he will make room for you. Anthony Hamilton wrote a comment on my page um, in reference to something that I did. And he said, your work is going to continue to make room for you. And I think that Mm. that Marvin Sapp song, that just means that like, as long as I keep on going, he's going to see the best when everyone else around has all the judgment in the world. God's going to see the best in me. I said he saw the best in me When everyone else around Could only see the worst in me I wish I had a witness tonight All I need is one Hey, he saw Thinking back, you deal with so much heaviness mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you felt success? Mm. Like the first time you were like, wow. I mean, that's, that is a high-charged ask. Like, I've had so many moments of success. But I will say that you can't deny seeing five million people gather around the world for the Women's March. That's like... Right. 
of epic proportions. You know what I mean? Like, if there was ever another feeling of success, that moment, I'm not going to say it trumped it all. I'm going to say that it was it like eclipsed a, it. It, 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 it eclipsed it. It, a it was bit. like a it was like a culmination of all the greatness of our movements and our struggles coming together because everybody wanted to see us fail. And when I say everybody, of course, not every average everyday person, but when you're talking about the establishment, men who would assert themselves and say Y'all can't do this without us because we had all, we hired all people of mm. color or all women for production, for all of the diff- the key roles. And there were many men, white men, who came to us and said, there's no way that you can do this without us. And we were able to pull it off. It was incredible. It was bigger than any one of us could have ever dreamed of or imagined. And I think that would be the first time in my heart when I knew how difficult the process was because it was a challenging process. It wasn't, you know, it was hard and we did it. The next record you picked, it's kind of apropos to what you were talking about because it's from Sisters with Voices, Mm. right? Sisters coming together with voices in love. I can still sing it like it just dropped last week. Every, I know the ooh, everything. What was it about this song? I mean, look, it was a, I mean, it was a super smash. I mean, come on. When you're 12, you think you're weak in the knees for somebody. You think so. Like, you know, I was 12. Again, you got to put 12 in perspective because I was 12 in the projects. You know what I'm saying? So the people who, who I'm friends with and the sisters and brothers of are a little bit older. So, you know, we see things a little different when you grow. It's not like growing up on Prairie Road. You know what I mean? Like, it's a right. little rougher in the in the PJs. Mm-hmm. And so we... And, a, and realer. And realer. And You're watching realer. interpersonal relationships play out. You're watching families fight. You're watching brothers and sisters thing. fight. You're watching... It's a lot of things that are just right there in your hallway, in your staircase, in, in, the, staircase, in the courtyard. Exactly. On the terrace. It's right there. So... I could hear through my bedroom door. In fact, my neighbor, at times, she and I would communicate through the wall. Hi, Miss Flossie, how you mm-hmm. doing? You all right today? So, you know, when you can hear through the walls, you hear a lot of, a lot of stuff. It's a lot going on right. around, you know what I mean? So Week, for me, was also one of those songs that became a part of my development in terms of intimacy. You know, at 12 years old, you hear something as incredible as this song, Week. You start peeling them lyrics apart. Like, what that mean? Who? They be doing that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little educa- edumacation you get. <laughs> so. Did you have a boyfriend at the time this song was out? Nah, at 12, I didn't have a boyfriend, but I certainly had a boy who lived down the street. He went to the public school because I went to the Catholic school. So he went to the public school. Got it. And I thought he was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I just loved him. But, you know, of course, I came up in a household where I had two parents. It was very structured. I was going to movement stuff, going to, you know, community events and all of that. He didn't want me. I was too slow. You know, he wanted to be with the chick from that was like able to stay outside past my curfew, yeah. you know. So, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, I get so weak in the knees, <laughs> I can hardly speak. I lose yeah. all control. Let's play it, man. This is Songs for Life. Don't get me, because I can go. <laughs> I know you can. I know you can. I get so We don't get to see 
this side of Tamika too often. Um, I've fortunately known her for several years and, and been able to have private conversations with her. But I think a lot of people just get to see you on the front lines. They get to see you um, in some of your most impassioned, often angry, fighting constant mm -hmm. fight. And I, I think it's important for us to not only make space to just love you for giving so much of yourself to all of us, but also make space for you to not have to always be on, yeah. you know, gritting your teeth and clenching your fists ready for war. You know what I mean? And uh, hopefully we're getting, you know, a little, a little reprieve for yeah. a second to just you know, hear some music and I talk about this. some other things. I love that you're doing this, this show. It's dope. This is fun. Speaking of the Women's March, we spoke about the Women's March. It took place January 21st, 2017. Women came together by the millions for the largest single-day yeah. protest in U.S. history yeah. that you organized. On that day, uh, you spoke earlier about overcoming so many obstacles to make that march happen. But on that day, is there a specific yeah. memory, uh, a moment, uh, someone you saw that really will, you know, epitomize that day? Uh, behind the stage, if you stand, if you stood on the side of the stage, it was a hill coming down and women were coming in droves. You know, we had over a million women and families in Washington, D.C. at the, the original location, the main location for the march. Um, and so behind the stage, people are coming by the droves with the pink hats on. And I was standing, and most of them were white women. And I was standing on the stage with Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, who's running for office, by the way. Check her out, sabrinafulton.com. I was standing with her, and we were looking and watching all these people coming. And she was like, wow, this is great. This is incredible. And she said, imagine if all these people would have showed up for Trayvon Martin. Mm. And I was so excited about seeing the women coming. But when she sort of knocked me back into the reality that if Tamika Mallory was dead right now, this same, these same people wouldn't show up. Mm. They're here because they came to fight someone, being Donald Trump, who they think is the worst thing that ever happened in American history. Yeah, he's the worst president one of the worst presidents, but he is not the beginning nor the end of racism and sexism and fascism in our country and in our world. So that moment for me, it just put me in the mind, as my grandmother would say, of all the work that is yet to be done that we still have to embark upon. That's right. The next record you picked... Jacqueline Carr. I'm not familiar with Jacqueline Carr. Put me on. You you selected your bigger. Yo, you gotta have that song on your. Once you listen to it right now, you gotta mm -hmm. keep that song on repeat. She just talks about how much bigger God is, bigger than cancer, bigger than unemployment, bigger than you know housing problems, bigger than man problems. He is bigger than all that. So when you down and out and feeling sorry for yourself, just remember that God is bigger. You're bigger than the universe. You're bigger than the sun and the stars. You're bigger than the things, oh my, oh my, that could tell me apart. I really appreciate that last story in the context of the Women's March because, you know, so many people came to the Women's March that you were a part of organizing and led the way on, yet and still, as Trayvon's mom pointed out, would those people have showed up for the murder of an unarmed black man or a black woman? Or for Carmen Perez, who's a Mexican-American, or for Linda Sarsour, or, yeah, my partner. Sarsour. You know, who's, who's right. a, a Palestinian-American. Would, would America show up for us that way? Do you feel like America has shown up better because of George, in the George Floyd moment? I think this is a, a moment when we're doing a little better. You know, there's always two sides to the coin because on one side, people, they feel like they want to be in it. They're making their way into and around the movement. They want to get in. But on the other side, sometimes these moments bring up 
or allow us to see the hidden bias within folks who we work with, you know, within people who we actually are friends with, go to school with, you know, you start saying, what do you mean you don't believe Black Lives Matter? Why can't you say Black Lives Why are you calling me saying, hey, you know, I know Black Lives Matter, but I was thinking. Like, what do you mean you were thinking? That's the moment when you find out that, you know, your good friend is also dealing with internal racism. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, we're doing better. And perhaps, because I I would think just knowing you for so long, I would think your, your answer is probably, yes, bring it out. Bring it to the top. Like, let's see. Let's see. I want to know who you are. Show me who you really, really are. Yeah, no, my real answer is, I know it's there. Right. The other piece of me goes, for those of you that don't believe it's there, here you go. You got to look at it and you got to stare at it and stop acting brand new. Right. Like, this isn't the America that I know. Yes, it is. Yes, You just was looking the other way because you were privileged. Um, Yes, And then there's a piece of me that, that, that also is very adamant about it being checked. It can't be unchecked. It will constantly be checked. There's no piece of me that will allow racism, white supremacy, Nazi paraphernalia, Confederate flags, any association of, you know, this oppressive white male angst towards people of color or black people to go unchecked ever. Right. That's not even, that's not even up for discussion. That's right. Um, it's at the top of the list. And it and for me, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, ignore it. We all getting paid. It's all good. Just, you know, it's all about the money. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. It actually isn't. Actually, it's, it's not. It's actually about the family. That's right. It's actually about family. And it's actually about claiming culture. And it's actually about claiming our, uh, our human value, that's which right. isn't, you can't put a price tag on. That's right. That's right. You know what I mean? So for me... The only part of seeing it is seeing the doo-doo bubble out of the baby diaper is the fact that I get to go see, told y'all I was going to shit on itself. I told you. That's right. It's true. We're seeing it all right before our eyes. Maybe it's good. Let's just uproot everything and start anew. Right. I want to get to Survivor, Mary J. Blige, uh, because that's the story of not only black folks, but clearly you. Mm. Um, you have overcome a lot and survived a lot to get to this moment in your life. Is that why you chose this song? Absolutely. First of all, Mary is my survivor chick. Like, everything that I felt, whenever I feel down and out, I go to Mary. That's my go-to. To get to, you know, you got your you got your love song people help you with your intimacy. You have your movement folks that you go to when you want some good, you know, we can do this, let's fight back. But when you're down and out, whether it be from your man, your money, just life in general, go to Mary. She got one all the time. And Survivor <laughs> is one of those songs because she basically talks about getting knocked down but getting back up again. And in my life, there have been moments, uh, talking about the Women's March, when people thought I could be counted out. You know, they thought that my time ha- was over, you know. and only what I know, and my, uh, Brittany Packnett, my friend, said to me the other day that God is the majority, right? So people talking about cancel culture. There's not enough people in the world to cancel me if God says otherwise. And I think Survivor is one of those tracks that just talks about uh, getting back up again. And how many times has Mary got back up again? I'm a survivor. Uh, we'd be remiss, you know, playing that Mary J. Blige song and getting back up again. People try to come for you and quote unquote cancel you because of your mm. relationship with Minister Louis Farrakhan. Um, you and I spoke during this time. I, you know, have been an 
outspoken supporter of some of the things that Louis Farrakhan stands for because in the black community, Louis Farrakhan is somebody that has taken a, a role in uplifting black men and making black men have, find self-love and turning, and turning black families around with the Nation of Islam. And there's obviously some controversy there and a lot of anti-Semitism there. You know, I, I used to sit and listen to Louis Farrakhan speeches with my Jewish mother. Mm. And we would listen to the pieces that were hard for her to listen to, but also the pieces that, you know, she understood was necessary. And my mm. mom gave me a book uh, from Cornell West in 1995. It was called Jews and Blacks. And it's about the relationship between Jewish people and black people in America. Um mm. The great parts and the bad parts. Mm -hmm. How would you describe this moment in your journey uh, when all of this vitriol was coming for you? It happened after the Women's March, right? After. So after Got 5 it. million people came together worldwide, my relationship with Farrakhan became a problem. Prior to that, you know, we didn't have the issue. And that's important because some people weaponized it to destroy the Women's March. That was their whole purpose. It was to divide us. I agree with you that there are things that the minister has said that I either don't agree with 100% mm -hmm. or I feel could be said in a different way that could help to get his message across differently. That's right. That's, that's a, he, he and I have had that conversation this is not uh, something that is, you know, a, a secret. Right, and I've had that same conversation with people in the, in the mosque as well. So we, we, we're on the same page with that. However, Minister Farrakhan's contribution to our community and specifically to people in my own family. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about what he did for Ray Ray on the block. I'm talking about folk in my own family who had it not been for the nation, the principles of the nation, the voice, strength, passion, and power of Minister Farrakhan, either they would be dead today or they certainly wouldn't have been an asset to society, mm -hmm. okay? These are individuals who were in the darkest times. They were at their darkest points, and the nation helped. Um, and, and, and some people say, well, can't you have the nation without Farrakhan or find somebody else? No, because he is the reason why, you know, immediately following the death of Elijah Muhammad, why the nation was able to continue to grow and why we have seen so many Black men particularly, but also Black women saved. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Yep. So none of us at all agree with everybody on everything. I was listening to you the other morning. I don't even know what you was talking about. I was like, oh, I feel like texting Ebro to tell him wrong, <laughs> you know, and right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no. And I'm sure that you will have or will feel that way about me at some point. And we can challenge that. We can have that debate. We should be able to. Mm -hmm. But what I was asked to do specifically was to denounce him. And I do not believe that any Black person, particularly a Black woman who is the mother of a young Black son, a woman who comes from a community where many of our people are locked up in prisons across this country right now where they say we have done some of the most heinous or committed some of the most heinous crimes ever. And I am supposed to be a leader, okay? Also, again, a Black woman, that I would use language like denounce to describe any black man. America has already denounced us. Mm -hmm. America's already denounced black men. I can't include my voice in that. What I can do though is say, I want to challenge a particular point or a particular behavior. And you can denounce anti-Semitism. Oh, and I can absolutely denounce anti-Semitism, without a doubt. That's right. Without a That's doubt. Right. And I'm not going to speak for, because I don't, Minister Farrakhan, or, or the Nation of Islam. I think there are many people who are completely capable of having this conversation. But outside of speeches, when I've had actual conversation with the minister about some of the things that I feel he has said that I don't agree with, or things that have made me feel uncomfortable, 
even when I'm listening to speeches, I don't always feel or I don't feel that he is speaking about all Jewish people mm-hmm. at all. I don't think so at all. I think that's a mischaracterization of some of what he has said. I think, though, still that speaking of any Jewish person in a certain way will make an entire community feel attacked. Which is the same way black folks feel often. Same way black folks feel. And so, therefore, the ways in which we communicate, the ways in which we have a certain level of empathy for people and their feelings and and their community is important. And I in my own right, as a leader, learn from all of these things. I learn from the ways in which people and all around me, Black leaders in general, from some of the good and the bad, and I'm trying to take those pieces and pull together who Tamika Mallory is as a leader. And I think that is what is most important for my life. Well, track eight is family reunion, Mm. which we all know when you get to the family reunion, there's going to be some family at that joint that you don't agree with. Is everybody going to be there? (laughs) But when this song comes on, we could all agree (laughs) that we like this song. That's right. We're going to do our two-step together. Yeah. three lessons that you learned from your parents? Oh, man. I learned that the top three things that I've learned from my parents, number one is that service to your community is not optional. Mm. It's something that is a requirement. It's mandatory, just like the air you breathe. Mm -hmm. I learned that family is everything. That no matter how busy you are, no matter what you have going on, check in with your peeps because they're going to be there for you when the rest of the world um, is flake, flaky. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I have learned that good food is the way to a man's <laughs> heart. So, ladies, if you, if you want to know if he loves you so... It's in his food. <laughs> Make a play. <laughs> <laughs> yo, listen, I'm going to tell you. Yo, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to keep it so real. That moment when you at the cookout and you go to make your plate and your lady takes the plate from you and makes the plate. <laughs> bro, you be feeling like, yes. I feel like royalty. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of y'all fellas. I feel like royalty. <laughs> Or, so or, or she blocks you from making the plate because of how it might make her look and you can't even make the plate. She's like, no, 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 no. You're making me look bad. Yeah, but I grew up in a household where you're not even up trying to get the plate. They already oh, on yeah, it. Already they don't even want it. you to touch it. They serve it and they got, they know what you want. They know what you like yeah, already. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think it's, look, he like, yeah, yeah that's what you like, yeah, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's okay. You know what? Because also the men in my family know that they have to return the favor. They respect and honor the black women in our family to the hilt. Yeah. They are... Amazing. They love and respect. But my father will tell you that he's the, he know he's the king of the castle. Mm-hmm. He already is clear about that because he's treated that way. And my mother has make, made it clear to us. But what he will tell you in a flash is that the way he remains the king of his castle is to make sure that she is clear that she's the queen. That's right. That's it. That's right. It's all contingent upon how she's feeling. That's right. That's <laughs> super facts. Because you know, as women, we know how to ruin your day good, good. Man, listen. That's why you got to have track nine <laughs> handy all the time at the crib. Things is going left, you throw on the Commodores. Just yes, to be yes, close yes. to Close you. to you. <laughs> Girl. And by the way, that don't mean that the fight is over. That just means that she going to chill and get this slow jam real quick. And then we'll get back to the fighting later. One of the reasons why that song is so important to me is that March 13th, the same day, same exact day that Breonna Taylor was killed, my mother had a massive stroke that paralyzed her on um, the left side of her body. 
And my mother, anybody who knows her knows that she's an avid dancer. My mother is the leader of the dance class. And she now is wheelchair bound, needs full support. She's going to come back. She's in therapy. But nonetheless, she, she took a major blow. And so when I think of the music that my parents always dance to, that's one of those songs. And, you know, in the spirit of healing, I just, you know, today I want to say that that song is where my mama is going to get back to. Just to be close to you, girl. Just for the moment. Oh, just for the moment. Ah, just for the I want to send love to your mom. I know firsthand about them strokes. So many I've dealt with throughout mm. the years. You know, father, mother, grandmothers, you know. It's my daughter's grandmother. Mm. It's something that is just very real. And in black households and black families, you know, heart disease, diabetes, you know, a lot of these things plague us. So I'm sending love over to your, your side of things, Tamika, for your mother. Thank you. I appreciate um, and it, And she bro. gets better and pulls through. Yeah, man. I want to thank you for being a guest on Songs for Life. Thank you for just always being amazing. Thank you for always keeping me in check. And thank <laughs> you for showing so much love to our communities. Um, and just giving of yourself so much. It is so appreciated. We love you so much. Love you too, um, man. And Thank you for this opportunity. This has been great. It's been really, really fun. Every time I'm with you, it's fun, though. We got more work to do, so we're going to be doing, we're going to be having all different types of conversations. And on that note, where are we at with Breonna Taylor? And what's the energy like on the ground in Louisville? You were just there a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, what is actually happening? So headed back to Louisville, I am actually taking residency in Louisville along with the other uh, leaders and many of the supporters of uh, Until Freedom. We're going to be staying there physically so we can ensure that there is daily action around Breonna mm. Taylor until an indictment comes down. And, you know, our position is if you're not planning to indict, go ahead and show your hand. You know, stop trying right. to string us along and hoping that this movement is going to die because it will not. If if the if the movement for Breonna Taylor dies, then you know Tamika Mallory is dead. So you should just say that. Like, mm. Tamika must be dead. Linda must be dead because we haven't heard anything about Breonna Taylor. So long as we haven't seen justice in that case, we've got to raise hell from the, 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 the top of the hills. What happened to her... We don't have time to go through today. But if you don't know, you need to go and spend some time looking into how this young woman was killed in her home literally for nothing. And if it can happen to her, then it can happen to you and me. For the rest of 2020 outside of Breonna Taylor, because I know that's your focus, what other goals do you have and how can we support you? Well, we've got a major election coming up. And voter suppression is going to be the key instrument used if we see Donald Trump become president again. Voter suppression will be one. The pandemic will be another, which is a suppression tactic in some ways in itself. And I feel like from our perspective, what we've got to do is not so much go tell our people who to vote for, but we have to make sure that our people are organized around our mission, that we're not out here, you know, getting caught up in the Democrats and the Republicans and, and who wants to shift your focus in which direction, but that we are steady down the middle with this is what Black people need, this is what we want, and this is what we demand. And so long as we stay right on that, I think that no matter what happens in the election, uh, I was listening to my crew. They were talking uh, a few nights ago and they said, no matter who wins, we the president. We're the president. It's on us, right? We're the ones who have to be the voice of the, those who uh, don't otherwise have a voice. And with that being said, just like they are going to be across the country trying to get people to turn out for elections, we're going to be across this country educating our people and letting them know we need something different. 
What we've had at this point has not worked. And so we have to redesign what America looks like so that it can be a place that is truly free for you and me. Tamika Mallory, I love you. I love you too. Love you so much. Thank you. Of course. How are we going to close out? My son, I have a dream. I have a dream. Yeah. I mean, yeah. My boy, my son, he's the music of the movement. You know, he's on his his mixture of Marvin Gaye, James Brown, you know, I don't know. He's got it all going on. Last Poets, he's got the whole thing going on. <laughs> and he's the soundtrack to our work. So that's the best way to end. So even though we face the difficulty of the day and tomorrow. Uh-huh. I'm the dream that he had, the seed that he planted in the weeds, the rose that weaved through the grass, the king on the path to evolution. I'm the heart that's gonna spark the revolution, the yelling Houston. Yeah, we got a problem. I'm telling all my songs for life.